if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them and turn to the book of Galatians chapter 6. The book of Galatians chapter 6. We currently live in a day where Christianity has been put on show. We, we go to church in an entertainment culture and much of what we experience in the church looks a lot like the world. The world which seeks to entertain and amuse us, we tend to find churches that are seeking to entertain and amuse us. And so much of Christianity has lost its essence. The essence which is communing with God and, and living according to His Word. Today we come to see that Christianity is not about putting on a show, but is about what we truly find our worth and glory in, which is the gospel of Jesus. And so I'm going to pray for us, and we'll read Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 16, and we'll jump in. Well, let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do not want to be like the Judaizers. We do not want to be those who relate to Jesus simply in name and not in heart. And so our gracious God, we pray that you would come and help us to commune with you and to love you more than we love the praise of men. Lord, we pray that you would do this, for only you can do this in the human heart. And so come and give us ears, O Lord. Come and give us eyes. And come and move our wills to the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Galatians chapter 6. Verses 11 through 16, we will only cover today 11 through 14, but it will be good to read the paragraph. The Apostle Paul writes, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which... The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Amen. The grass withers and the flower falls. The word of God endures forever. May he write its truths on our hearts. You'll see in your bulletin uh, the proposition and points this evening. 
We need to behold what truly matters, which is not how you are perceived, but who you actually are. We need to see what the Apostle writes to us where he's trying to convey what truly matters the most about you and about me is not how you are perceived, but about who you actually are. See what he does in verse 11. He wants to behold what, you, what truly matters, which is not how you're perceived. Look at what he says, verse 11. The apostle writes, he says, See, command, with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. The apostle begins this final section of this letter. And it is as though he goes to his amanuensis and he takes the pen, which is what he does. And he begins to dip the ink and write the conclusion himself. In many ways, in the ancient Near East, you hated. And they were transcribed by an amanuensis. And the apostle comes to his amanuensis and just takes the pen out of his hand. And you wonder with what tone he did. I'm sure it was utterly gracious considering the letter itself. But he comes and he takes this pen and he wants you to see one particular thing about what he does. He says, see, with what large letters I write to you. Now you, you ask the question, which is the obvious question, why did the Apostle Paul write with large letters? And there's plenty of scholarly debate that you will find upon it, but it probably has something to do with 617. When he says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. And if you go into 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and you read about the Apostle Paul's persecutions and sufferings and beatings, it is very likely that his hands did not work as they ought to work for a 55, 60-year-old man. And so the Apostle Paul grabs the pen and he wants you to see that he's not trying to make a good show. But he's trying to convey the truth of what's important, which is not your appearance, but it's what you value. The apostle in this section, tells, uh, he, he tells us that he has, in, in so many places, that he has no confidence in his flesh. Right? Chap, uh, chapter 7 of Romans, verse 18, he says, far be it from me. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to boast in my flesh, for there is no good thing that dwells in my flesh. And this is the Apostle Paul who in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8, uh, verses 6, 7, and 8 says that if you want to compare credentials, I have the best credentials. But in comparison with the surpassing worth of Jesus, he said, my life of Phariseeism, my life of being of the tribe of Benjamin, my life of of exceeding everyone around me is dumb in comparison with Christ. Now so much of this letter, as we've seen together on Sunday evening, is the Apostle Paul telling us that we must combat this idea that you have value, that your value before God is estimated by what you do. Just look back at chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 16, the Apostle Paul writes, 
uh, in, the, in the midst of rebuking Peter, he says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. He said, we know that you're not going to be made right with God's value, but he says, but through faith in Jesus Christ. I find that we tend to find value in what we do. We tend to find value in comparison and contrasting. I went to a better school. Now, what, what, do they, what do they say? You know, if you're from Philadelphia, they ask, you know, who's your family? If you're from New York, they ask, how much do you make? And if you're from Boston, uh, they ask, where did you go to school? And they find value in, in so many different things in this world. They find value in their family. It's good to have value in your family. They find value in their, in their, in their career. They find value in, their, in, in where they went to school. And ultimately, none of these things make you who you are. And the Apostle Paul, as he takes the pen, is showing them that who I am is not based on what you see. He said, what did he say? In the, in, in just in chapter 4, he said, I'm not, I don't have any outward appearance for you, but you receive me as an angel of Christ. And, and he's saying, it's not in what you see, but it's in something else. Now notice what the Apostle Paul does. He says that he's writing, just a moment, I want to make two notes on this, with large letters. Now this is, this is significant. You know when you pick up a child's um, notebook and, and you see that they, and, I mean, you know, the, the T looks definitely like a capital F and, you know, and, and A's look like U's somehow and V's are S's and, and you know, it, you know the, the large letters and they stand out. You can have all kinds of things. You can have glorious things written on a page and when you see large letters, it, it comes at you. And capital letters emphasize your point, right? We do that today. You put it in all caps to do what? Emphasis. And the Apostle Paul, see with what large letters, I'm trying to draw your attention to what I'm about to tell you. You must grasp this truth. And in fact, to the Hebrew mind, they, they would have seen large letters and thought of the Shema, which is Deuteronomy 6.4, which has three letters capitalized in it which I won't go through all the Hebrew there, but, but, the, but the Hebrew word that's capitalized is here, O Israel. It has, a, it has the word for here capitalized in Deuteronomy 6.4 in the Hebrew text. Why? Because they're trying to get you to grasp the importance of that for, the Christ, for, the Judea, for, for Judaism also. And so he's trying to get you to get the importance of what he's writing for your Christian faith. Capital letters. His capital letters also are, he's telling them, to the, to the wind with whatever men think of me. He said, I have the place I'm standing and I'm not moving. The two points there. Let's see what he says. What is the message you would have us receive, Paul, here with your own hand at the end of this letter? And he says, verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. 
He begins to point with his pen. He's taken the pen, he's began to write, and the first thing he does is tell you about these false teachers. I mean, he would have been arrested, surely, in many states for doing such things. And, 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 and he says what their religion truly is. And this is the part that is perhaps most convicting. He said, it is those who, let me define them, want to make a good showing in the flesh. It's those whose religion was a show. If I asked you, I'm sure I know the answer. Do you want your faith to simply be a show? Do you want at the end of days the Lord say, why didn't you love me instead of loving the praise of men? These men had come into the church and what they do, they love to have people applaud them. They loved to have people say, that's the guy. He does this and he does that and, 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 he's, and, he, and, he's, and he's lovely. And that's what they were living for. I'm sure you don't want that. I, I know most of you and you are simply lovely, lovely people. Inside and out, I'm sure the gospel has penetrated the hearts here. But one thing we fail to do is we fail to realize that when our Christian faith becomes a show, we've lost the reality. It's his eternal life. That they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. When we exchange, when we want more than, uh, more than anything else, communion, uh, the, the communion with each other and the, the, the praise of one another, rather than the praise that comes from God, we exchange our communion. It is a great fear and a great discouragement that we would live our lives not communing with Him. You know, one of the things that the gospel gives, and we see it all throughout this letter, we're made right with God. And, and you're made right with the King of the universe. And how ought the Christian to use that right? In communing with Him. And in loving Him. And the Apostle Paul says that these men are coming and they, they just simply want, want you to make much of them and them to make much of you and, and then they, they don't have any trouble throughout their life. Look at what it says in verse 12. He says, and only, they do this for this sole purpose in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. What is he telling you? He's telling you that they don't find any worth in Jesus they don't find the cross worth suffering for. I don't want to talk to them about that. They'll, they won't like me anymore. 
If I bring this up to my spouse again, she is really going to be upset. Or he, whichever, put it on one one you or the other. And, and we begin to want one thing, just a good show. We begin to want communion this way, at the loss of this way. We don't want to be persecuted for loving the gospel. And so what, what, do, what do so many Christians do? They make a good show. What do they say? Put on your Sunday best. Brothers, you are, you are not called to simply live on your Sunday best. You're called to commune with your God. And you're called to love Him and glory in Him and find, and find, and find satisfaction in Him rather than in the world. The Apostle Paul in this is, is in many ways beckoning us away from just being showful Christians and being those who truly love this gospel. Paul's just told us wonderful things. He's told us all kinds of things about walking in the Spirit and about what Christ has done for us in bearing our sin away, about our adoption and our receiving into God's family. He's, he's told us all the warnings, yes, of Galatians, but also all the, all the benefits of the redemption. Do you value those things? Do you value Jesus' cross for you? Even here in a few minutes, what do we do? We, we come to the table, which is picturing communing with Him, the totality of the Christian life seen in a table. That we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If it was proper, we would have a whole table, like in the Scottish tradition. But we, we, we come to a table and we, and we eat and we drink, symbolizing not only our, our, our reconciliation, but symbolizing our communion with Him. And these men, you could see who they were communing with by who they were defending. And they would defend circumcision. It says it, verse, verse 13, even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep circumcision, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. They'll defend circumcision to you. They'll defend Moses to you. But what they won't defend is Jesus and his work. No. Because they find value more in things that are acceptable culturally than actually being persecuted and being cross-cultural for the gospel. And I wonder, what are, what are you willing to suffer for? Where is the point you draw the line in the sand and say, I'm, I'm not moving. I will stand here. And I'll receive whatever comes to me. Because I can't move. What are you willing to suffer for? Polycarp, uh, in the first century, uh, he was a disciple of the Apostle John. He, um, he wrote uh, various letters and various things in the early uh, church fathers. and He uh, was uh, told that he must burn incense to Caesar, which he refused at 86 years old. And 
when he would not profess Caesar as Lord, this is around 154 or so, he was arrested. And they decided that he would be burned to death. And obviously given the choice, they said, Polycarp, you're an old man. They said, simply confess Caesar as Lord and we will let you go. And Polycarp responded to them, 86 years I have served him and he has never done me wrong. How can I forsake him now? And when the flame would not kill him, they said it didn't even burn him according to the church historians. They stabbed him with a spear. He said, this far and no further, I will stand. The gospel of our salvation is worth fighting for. The hard conversations with your friends, the wrestlings in your own heart, the late nights, the prayerful nights, the sitting with the word of God is worth fighting for. Your Christian faith needs to be fought for. We've spoke time and time again of standing for Jesus and his crown rights. So stand for him. He's not an addition to your life. Christ is the Christian's life. Galatians 2.20, as we quoted even last week, he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it is not I that live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ is the Christian's life. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's not a cherry on top of your life. He's central. You may respond that, Jonas, I really don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to suffer. I mean, don't we live on St. Simon's? I mean, we, we live, this is supposed to be the easy life. But Jesus doesn't call you to an easy life. He calls you to Luke 9, verses 23 and 24. And he said, if you would follow me, take up your cross and come after me daily. Christian, Christ calls to you and to me to join him on the Calvary road. As we go through this life, the sojourning life, finding our glory and our worth in him and in his cross. We have a Savior who has loved us. And in his great love, he calls us to love him. It would typically be selfish to say you need to love me unless you are the most valuable thing in all creation. And the most selfless thing God can do is tell you to value most that which is most valuable. And Christ calls you and he calls me to love his son and to love his gospel because it is the most valuable thing in all the universe and only time will prove this. And I want you to know what really matters. And it's not how you're perceived. You will be perceived in many ways by many different people. But what really matters is who you actually are. It's what the apostle brings out in verse 14. 
He says, but far be it from me to boast. Except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. A lot of things to say here. I'll try to say a few. All men boast. Every Women too. All men and women boast. There we go. I had all my bases here. Whether you think you're the most passive guy in the whole world or the most aggressive guy in the whole world, everyone boasts. Everyone has something in which they treasure. If I ask you what you boast about, you say, well, Jonathan, I really don't know. I can ask you four questions to follow up. What occupies your free time? What do you think about the most? What do you talk about the most? What is your nightmares about? The thing that it feels taken away from you, you think you would not survive. It is perhaps therein that you find what you really value most. And the apostle comes and he says, Christian, is your greatest nightmare not having the cross of Christ? Because it should be. Where would you be without Jesus today? Where would you be without him who has loved you and taken away your sin? The apostle calls you and I to boasting. And he calls us to find our worth and our value and our, and our glory in the cross. But not just any cross. He calls you to find your glory in the cross, a particular cross. Not a wooden cross you wear around your neck, not anything you see on the street. He calls you to find in the cross, particular of our Lord. It is Christ. And what does this cross truly mean? It is His work for you. Do you value the work of Jesus? Do we not come to even celebrate this night the work of Christ for us? You've got to know, in the first century, crosses were absolutely vile. To say such a thing would have been deplorable. Most all Roman citizens were not allowed to be hung on crosses. It was almost, it was an extreme rarity, except in Nero's day, of course. But they often would not allow Roman citizens because of the vileness of such an act. But Paul here says he finds his glory in a particular cross, in what particularly happened to a person on that cross. On the cross, the Lord Jesus in the darkness of Calvary had the wrath of His Father poured upon Him. And in that wrath being poured upon Him, He took away the guilt of His people. If you cannot sing, Hallelujah, what a Savior, you perhaps don't know what it means to have your sin taken away. We sing hymns like, 
Praise my soul, the King of heaven. To heaven. Who like me, who like me his praise should sing? It's in those words, ransom, healed, restored, forgiven. We know the reasons we ought to boast in the cross. But the reasons we don't boast in the cross are because our affections are wound on other things. Christian, you can only have some, your, your affections have limits. And if you give all of your love and affection to something, you will take it away from something else. And in so many ways, the Apostle Paul is calling you and me to let go of the affections we have for the things in the world and find our affections for the Lord Christ and what he's done. What does the other hymn say? Here is love vast as an ocean. We'd have to sing it. I'd forget the words. But it is, it is, it's, it's truly vast. Can you imagine? In heaven, this is all their boast. They gather around, and what do they sing in Revelation chapter 5? Worthy are you, O Lord, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed a people for God from every tribe, tongue, and nation. All of heaven resounds with this chorus of boasting. And the church on earth ought to be like the church in heaven. And so, brothers... Let me um, close this here, and we'll pick up later next week. But boast in Christ, and let your affections for the things that are not worthy of your affections go, and find your worth in Him. And in doing so, you'll find that all the other things of this world just kind of fade away. Well, let's pray together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, how grateful we are for the cross to be ransomed, healed, restored, and forgiven. Lord, we pray, come and lead us to Christ in all our ways and all our affections. In Jesus' name, amen.